I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3, and I want to talk to you this morning about the church's migration. Philippians chapter 3, and I want to talk about the church's migration. And I want you to listen to this. This is a sober message. It is a sound message, and this is a message to you today. And I pray that there will be people who listen to this. I want to ask you to allow conviction to come. I pray that the Holy Spirit will minister in such a way this morning that you will be convicted. That there will be things in your life that you find conviction in regards to. And I want you to understand that the Lord is not here to condemn you. And I am not here to condemn you. But I do pray that we will understand the urgency of this hour. And how serious it is to follow Jesus Christ right now. In Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7, Paul testifies, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Here's a man who is in pursuit of Jesus Christ. And he's one of the few men in the New Testament who tells us at the end of his life that he did it. That he finished his race and he fought a good fight and he kept the faith. I think he's worth listening to. I think the instructions of his life and his testimony are worth heeding and taking it to heart. And here's a man who is willing to suffer the loss of everything and count everything that he loses as dung in comparison to the excellency Of winning Christ. And that's what he says. That I may win Christ. Which is to gain or to acquire. He's in pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 9. I want to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness. Which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness. Which is of God by faith. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul is very aware of an event that is fixing to happen in the earth. He's very aware of his need to follow after Jesus Christ and to not let anything get in the way of that. And anything that would compete with his relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be counted as dung in comparison to what he gains in Jesus. And then he says in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. He's following. We have reduced Christianity today to a confession. We have reduced it to a place where a person can just say the name of Jesus and you're saved. But Jesus came to call disciples. Jesus came and called men to follow him. And I believe whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I believe that salvation is a changed life. And a changed heart. A changed mind. And you're going to follow Jesus because you love him. You're going to follow Jesus because the one that you've just met, Jesus Christ, in comparison to him, everything else is dung. I don't believe that's the case to a lot of Christians. 
I don't think a lot of Christians think that what you're holding on to that keeps you from Jesus is dung. I think a lot of things we hold on to, we love, we like, we enjoy, and we consider to be valuable. You better take heed to that, lest it gets in the way of these things Paul's talking about of a resurrection and knowing him. And so he says again in verse 12, not as though I've already attained or either perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. And I want you to notice verse 14, which is our focus. I press, I press to this. There's energy. There's labor in this. By grace, I press toward the mark, the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And the word high calling there, the word high means upward. And the word calling means an invitation. And so the Apostle Paul has had an encounter with Jesus Christ where Jesus has become everything to him. And everything else in Paul's estimation is dung compared to Jesus Christ. I think it was Tozer who said, whatever gets in the way of my Bible reading is my enemy. Whatever gets in the way of my prayer life is an enemy. Whatever gets in the way of my worship is an enemy. I must count it as an enemy. Jesus Christ is the most precious thing in my life and I'm pressing on and I'm following after him and I want to know him. I'm not doing it in such a fashion as to gain my salvation. I do not want a righteousness that comes by the law, but I want a righteousness that comes by the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. And that righteousness has greatly affected me. And I'm not like him, but I'm pressing on because I want to be like him and I will be like him. And I'm going after Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a resurrection. And there is an upward invitation. And I ask you this morning, do you hear it? Do you hear the invitation? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear the invitation? It is an invitation to an upward call And we would refer to that as the rapture of the church. The catching away of the body of Christ from this earth in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, which can happen at any moment. And Paul said, I am pursuing that. I'm listening to that upward invitation. Do you hear that? This is a very serious question. I'm not asking if you believe in the rapture. I'm asking, do you hear the upward invitation? Do you hear the spirit and the bride crying? Even so, come Lord Jesus. When the ten virgins were asleep, they didn't wake up at his presence. They woke up at his call. They heard the invitation before he ever got there. And they woke up. And five of them were not ready to meet him and they didn't get to go. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And many will say to Jesus in that day, but we've done so many wonderful works. And he says, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Depart from me. So I'm asking you, do you hear? Do you hear the upward invitation? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now in Romans chapter 13, in case you are wondering if there is a call, there is. It's very real. It was not a once and for all thing. It was not through a Twitter. It is the cry of the Holy Spirit. Even as he wrote the epistles through Apostle Paul, he says this. And this is the call that's going out to us. And I just wonder if you hear this in Romans 13 verse 10. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time. And when Paul wrote this. It was about 2,000 years ago. And so he didn't say the Holy Spirit didn't say. And knowing that in 2,000 years it's time to wake up. But now is always the time. Because you don't know when your Lord's coming for you. And so that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And so it's so much the more nearer now. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And in this scripture, as you can clearly see, it is the call of the Holy Spirit to the church to wake up. Our salvation is nearer. The night is far spent. The day's at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. Hey guys, Jesus is really coming. He's really coming. And though this has been said for 2,000 years, he's really coming. It's really going to happen. And we have to be ready. And I ask you, do you hear the upward invitation? Because there is a call going out. As a matter of fact, if you still need help understanding this, go to Titus chapter 2. And notice this. And those of you that love grace. And those of you that love to live by grace. Well, examine your heart to see if you are in grace. And if grace is operating in your life. Because here's a wonderful way to do it. If grace is active in your life, in Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. So if grace has come to you and brought salvation to you, then these are some of the things grace is going to be doing in your life. So you can examine this. You can see if it's happening. Grace teaches us to deny godliness and worldly lust. So what about the movies you watch? Have you grown comfortable with movies that are full of cursing and taking the Lord's name in vain and sex? Have you grown comfortable with that? Because it's a cultural kind of thing. What about the music that you listen to? 
Are you a social drinker and you feel fine with doing that because you don't get drunk, even though the Bible tells us that we shouldn't drink anything like that, that strong could alter our attitude or influence us? Do we understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And do we join that with darkness or fellowship with those who have no relationship with God? And I'm not saying we can't have friends with the lost, but I'm just saying there needs to be an uncomfortability with me and somebody that's lost. And so, so is grace teaching you this? Is grace teaching you when you're sitting there watching that movie? Is grace teaching you? I would not watch this. Why are you? I'm not talking about rules and standards that the church wants to give you. I'm talking about grace teaching you something. It's right there. You can't be mad at me. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So is grace teaching you to be sober and righteous? How to live it? How to live it out? Right now in this present world. And our present world is awful. And our present world is dark. And our present world is diabolical. But grace teaches you how to be godly in it. And where sin abounds, grace does much more about. Thank God for grace. But it's a good teacher. Is it teaching you? And not only does grace do all of that, but grace also does this. Looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So is grace doing that in your life? And so if I could tie these scriptures together that we've just read. If I could talk to you out of Philippians chapter 3 about the upward calling. If I could talk to you out of Romans 13 about Paul who says, Hey guys, the day is far spent. The night is almost over. Our king is coming. Get ready. Wake up. And if I could tell you out of Titus, grace teaches you to look for the rapture. I'm asking you, do you feel the migration home? Do you feel it? Does it shout at you and tell you all the time, a move is coming, a move is coming, a move is coming. I know it in here. T. Austin Sparks said, one of the greatest evidences that we are at the end of the world and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest, not the only greatest, but one of the greatest is not so much end times events and nuclear proliferation and things that are going on in the world. But the instinctive knowledge within the church that Jesus is at hand. There's a knowing in the bride that the groom is here. And you know that. And, and I ask you, do you have the invitation? Do you know it? Do you feel it? Do you experience it? And so this is very important for me. I want to give you the definition of migration. It is the movement of people or species over some distance from one usual place of residence to another. I thought that was very interesting. A usual place of residence to another. And typically, if there's a migratory pattern, it is typically to another usual place. And that's why the Bible says we are citizens of heaven, though I have never been there. I have a usual place on earth that I live. It's not Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It is the church at First New Testament. I live here. This is my usual place. And I'm about to be moved from this place into another place that is usual to me because my citizenship is in heaven. A place I've never been but home to me. 
I'm about to go home. And that's what migration is. In migratory patterns, there is a collective instinct within a species to urge them to move. When migratory birds are held in captivity, not wanting to be there, they hop about, fluttering their wings and flit from perch to perch, just as birds of the same species are migrating from the wild, these caged birds know they should be traveling too. But because they're held in a captivity, they can't. Birds and other species that have a migratory instinct do not consciously choose to not migrate. Listen to me carefully. And I want this to serve as a, as a parable. Or if I might say even a little bit more than a parable. If it could serve out of a testimony of Romans chapter 1. Where Paul says that the visible things are explaining the invisible things. I believe there is a migratory instinct within the church. And I believe that migratory instinct comes from the new birth. And it is the longing of the Spirit of God to go home. It is the longing of the Spirit of God to bring us into the presence of the Father and the Son. And to join us together with our heavenly family. Inseparable forevermore. And I believe that is his longing. And species that have this migratory instinct do not choose to not migrate. There are several factors that might cause a particular species to not migrate or miss the migration, if you will. Listen to this carefully, because it's very possible that these could be very things that would cause you as a believer in Jesus, you as a person of faith, to maybe miss the migration. And one of those things is, is that these species learn to live in a man-made environment. They have acquainted themselves with the preparation or the environment that a man has prepared for them. And they have learned to live there and draw their sustenance from that. And the danger is for believers or people of faith to begin to live comfortably and learn to live in an environment that the world has made for you rather than the environment of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Another reason that animals with the instinct to migrate miss it is because they change their feeding habits. They no longer feed on what is the typical food of the species, but they now begin to feed on different things. And I believe there is a danger when Christians no longer desire the sincere milk of the word. And they begin to feed on news programs and the modern philosophy and logic of this world. Are you two prophets? And they're feeding on other things now. And they're confused and they're distorted and they're not certain and they're not established anymore. Because this has not become the thing that we feed on. And another reason animals will lose their instinct to migrate is because they would cache food, which is another way of storing it. And they would hoard up their food and they would save it for a time when they think that they might need it. So therefore they don't... They miss the migratory instinct. And I would equate that to believers who are content to live on past experiences. 
who are content to live on a testimony that you had with God 20 years ago, and you have no desire in you whatsoever for fresh experiences with God. A fresh revelation of the Lord. Fresh intimacy with Jesus Christ. What you had 10 years ago is sufficient for you. Another reason that these animals lose their instinct to migrate is because some scientists say they're stubborn. They ignore what is going on in their species and they refuse to join them. And when it comes time to go, they don't have the strength to make the journey by themselves. And they miss it. And there are people in our churches today, and Peter said that they would come, scoffers who say, oh, the promise of his coming. Everybody said that. Our fathers used to say, oh, Jesus is coming back in our day. And so it is that stubbornness. I just don't have to take you seriously about this. But one day there will be a rapture. It will happen, just like our fathers have been saying. And the last reason that I saw scientifically as the scientists were explaining this is why an animal might lose its natural instinct to migrate is because it lives with mixed breeds. It doesn't spend its time with its kind, but it spends most of its time with mixed breeds that don't migrate. And I would think about this in the context of the Lord or even the Apostle Paul saying to us, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And what fellowship does a child of God have with a child of Belial? For you are the light of the world and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we begin to live with a mixed breed, we begin to live with people who are not really our kind because you've got to be born into this. This is not a religious kind. It's not a traditional kind. It is a living, new birth, Holy Ghost produced Family of God. And when we live in the family, guess what? If you live in the family, you are going to hear and get ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what the family's talking about. But when you live with mixed breeds, you, you, you might hear a thousand other things, but not this. Not this. And you would be hard pressed today to go to most churches and hear a message about the coming of the Lord anywhere. Even in a month of sermons, you would be hard pressed to hear about the coming of the Lord anywhere. Is there a danger of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Luke 21. For those of you that feel that this is something you do not need to worry about. These are the words of Jesus. And he says in verse 34. And take heed to yourselves. Luke 21, 34. And take heed to yourselves. Lest at any time. Your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. Kind of like the loss of migratory instincts because you've changed your eating pattern because of the cares of this life. You've mixed yourself with other breeds because of the cares of this life. You've got to work too much. You're too busy to come to church. You're too busy to really be involved. I'm going to just attend as a congregational minister. Or, or, or member or whatever it may be. The cares of this life. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Is telling us. Take heed. Because if you don't take heed. And let's just say the cares of this life. Let's say you're not getting drunk. But you're caught up with the cares of this life. What can happen? That day. Can come upon you unaware. 
Why? Because you're not hearing the upward invitation. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And I say this to you this morning. This is the deepest desire of my heart as your pastor to bring a message like this to you because there is an event coming to the earth that will be a snare to all of the people on the planet. And Jesus is telling people to take heed to yourself so that you can escape it all. And one of the things he says you need to be concerned about is that you don't get wrapped up in the cares of this life and you're unaware now of where you are and what's coming. So I want you to really think about that. In the days of Noah, Jesus said it would be like that when the Son of Man comes back. And in the days of Noah, what was happening? They were not listening to righteous preaching. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and the people didn't listen to it. They didn't take heed to him. You know what they did instead of taking heed to Noah who said a flood is coming and is going to drown every living thing on the planet? They didn't listen to him. They continued to go about life as usual. Even though it was a perverted way of life in his day. Much like ours. They continued to involve themselves in buying and selling and marrying and getting and married and building houses. And, and, and they're not taking this guy seriously. They're living for the base pleasures of their life until the flood came. And then they knew Noah was right. And I didn't take him seriously. It reminds me of the passage in Thessalonians. That when they loved not the truth that they might be saved. They believed a lie. Sent from God. That's pretty strong. And so I just say to you. Love the truth. Even if it hurts. Love the truth. If the truth brings conviction into your life. Don't fight it. God's not trying to hurt you. And honestly, beloved, who among us is without conviction? For in any one of our lives, we can think of things that are trying to entangle us with the cares of this life. Or even greater sins than that. But our saving God is among us to rescue us if we will let him. Even from the cares of this life. So I just say, let it convict you if it brings conviction. So I was thinking about this. I believe with all of my heart, according to these scriptures and according to the pattern in the Bible, there is a migratory instinct. There is a knowing within the new nature that I'm about to leave and people that don't have that instinct, they may think you're crazy. And maybe they will think that we're crazy. And maybe we'll die believing this. But one day there'll be a people that literally rise up to the air to meet Jesus in it and to be with him. And I think it'll be us. 
I don't know. But I think it'll be us. I think this world is quickly closing. And I want you to read these scriptures with me in Genesis chapter 6 about the migration, the call of God to the ark. And I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 6 verse 17. Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But with you will I establish my covenant and you shall come into the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall you bring into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of fowls after their kind of cattle after their kind of creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Notice this two of every sort shall come unto you to keep them alive. In chapter 7, verse 14, they and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark. And what I want you to see about this is this, that Noah did not have to go and get these animals God placed within these animals a knowing that I have to get to this place on the earth where a refuge has been built for me. Now, maybe they didn't understand why they were going there. Maybe they didn't have full knowledge about a judgment or a flood that was coming on the earth. But somehow God put into those animals that would join Noah the knowledge that you've got to go there. And they did. And they were saved. And beloved, there is very little that we can do to help one another other than preach the truth. It must be an exercise of your faith. As to how you will allow that truth to affect your life. But I believe this with all of my heart. According to the scriptures that I've read to you. Out of what Paul's testimony was in Philippians chapter 3. Out of Titus chapter 2. And out of Romans chapter 13. There is a knowing. That the Lord is coming back. And it's time to wake up. And it's time to be right with God. And it's time to follow him and it's time to pursue him. And I believe that God puts it instinctively because no matter how hard and how long preachers preach it, it doesn't seem to disturb or move anybody's traditional behavior. And so there has to be some instinct that the Holy Ghost speaks into that new creature. That we really are about to migrate. And the effect of that call is going to bring you in to here. More than you've ever been. 
Because you know from here, with here, with us as a body who's a part of a larger body of Christ, we're all going together. And I don't want to spend my time feeding on a food substitute. And I don't want to spend my time with mixed breeds who are desensitizing me to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming and the world is evil. And I don't want to live on past experiences that I've had with God. If the end of the world is upon me, God, I want to know you today. I want to worship you today. I want to know your presence today in my life. And I don't want to be stubborn when forget the men who preach. When the Bible tells me this, and I'm going to say in the face of the Bible, not in my day, when it could be, and there is an instinct in you to begin the migration. Because what happens in these animals, these species like geese or ducks, when they begin to migrate, before they make the journey south, when winter's coming, they first of all migrate together. So that together, before they leave, they are already in their flocks and they fly together to their new home. And that's what's happening in the church. Believers are coming together. They're coming together in the name of Jesus. They're coming together for prayer meetings. They're coming together for fellowship. They're coming together to hang out. They're coming together to play with one another. They're coming together to feast and eat with one another. They're coming together to have intercession. They're coming together to go into the harvest. It's the the body of Christ. Those with that instinct are being pulled in more and more and more. And if you don't hear that call. I'm not talking about the pastor telling you something. If you don't have the instinct of that, I encourage you to find an altar today and ask the Lord to renew your life so that you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And you have a heart that will be drawn to what he's calling you to be drawn to. So I want to illustrate this with a story. And most of you are familiar with the story. And the story is about Abraham's desire to get a bride for his son Isaac. And this is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus and his church. Of all the patriarchs, this is the one man who will be joined to one woman his whole life. Unlike his fathers who had multiple concubines, this man will not. He will love Rebecca. And Abraham representing God the Father... Isaac representing Jesus Christ, Eleazar representing the Holy Spirit, and Laban and her brother and the family that Rebecca would come from representing the world. Abraham, or the father, sends Eleazar into the world to go find a bride for his son. Much like the father sending the Holy Spirit into the world. To go gather together a bride for the son Jesus Christ. Which the Bible says the church is. And Eleazar had to go into a world of strangers he did not know. And out of all of the strangers that he did not know. He had to find the one woman that he could bring home. That his servant Isaac would love. And one of the things that he specifically prayed for is God let her be kind 
and let her be a servant. And that was his fleece. And when he met her, she was very kind. And she served him. And she was very beautiful. And Eleazar goes to her home. And he said, I've come from my master Abraham, who has a son Isaac. And he has sent me here because you're his family. And he's looking for a bride. And I want to bring Rebecca back with me. And Rebecca makes the decision, I will go. And then Laban and her brother and her mother and others said, stay here with us many days before you leave. And Eleazar, the Holy Spirit said, no, we cannot stay. This is an urgent matter. And I cannot tarry. I must bring her. To the master's house. And join her to Isaac. Much like the Holy Spirit. When he comes in here. And he's looking for a bride for his son. And you're here. You are a choice candidate. To be a bride to Jesus Christ. And you say yes. I want to belong to Jesus Christ. I want to be his. And so you say this sinner's prayer. And you give your confession of Jesus Christ. And then. After you pray that, okay, I'll go my way and Jesus, you'll go your way and we'll meet in heaven one day. And thank you for not letting me go to hell. No, 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 no. But the Holy Spirit comes into your life and says, you said, yes, you really will go. We have to leave immediately. We cannot stay in the world. We have to begin our journey This long journey from your home to my master's home. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be rough. But I am your constant companion. And before we get home, I will cause you to fall in love with one you've never seen. And Rebecca didn't fight him. She jumped on to his caravan. And she rode with him. And Eleazar, for however long the journey took, was her companion. And I can only imagine, much like I would do with the Holy Spirit, tell me more about him. Tell me more about him. And I would tell the Holy Spirit, boy, I had an encounter with your presence. And it was so amazing. Or I'd go to the Holy Spirit and say, the Holy Spirit, my day was just terrible. I didn't get to have the things that I wanted to have today. I didn't have opportunities with you that I really wanted to have today. And I just miss you so much. He would fill me and I could pour that out to him. And Rebecca gets to the place and she sees Isaac out in the field. She didn't even have to ask Eleazar, is that him? He did a good job. She knew it was him. He described every free feature, described his character, described his work ethic. And every moment she's fallen more and more in love with him that by the time she got there, it was like she knew him. And she jumped off of that caravan and ran into his arms and they were never separated. They loved each other. An upward call came. My master has a son who wants a bride. First invitation. Will you go? Rebecca says yes. 
Second invitation, if you will be his bride, we can't stay in the world. We've got to leave now. She says yes. Third invitation, we're going to go through many trials and difficulties on our journey home. We're going to find oppressive weather and desert weather. And it's going to be difficult and storms and sandstorms. And it's going to be rough. But I'll be with you the whole way. She says yes. When I get you to the master's house, you will be his and he will be yours. Yes. And that's the way it is with this new birth. I've come to find a bride for the son of God, Jesus Christ. Will you be? Yes. Will you take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him now? Yes. It'll be hard and the journey may be long and it may be rough, but I'll be your constant companion. Will you go with me? Yes. When I get you home, you'll be his forever and he will be yours. Yes. And that's the call that's in our hearts right now. We know. We know something's about to happen. And we're about to go home. And my deepest desire is to provoke you or stir you. If you don't feel that instinct. Unless somebody is in your face telling you Jesus is coming. Then you feel it. But you don't feel it on a day to day basis. I implore you to let personal revival come to your life. Because you've got to hear this call. You've got to hear it. I want you to stand with me. And I want to say this to you. I I was able to write this down. And Jesus said he's coming at an unexpected time. He said it would be like a snare that falls on the whole world. I'm I'm stunned when I see what is happening in our world. The drastic changes that have occurred, the events that have actually altered our way of life. And yet I find lost people talking more about the end of the world and the coming of Jesus than church people. And that disturbs me. Something is very wrong with that picture. I find church people who are longing for some type of normality and stability in this world than a homecoming with Jesus Christ. That disturbs me. We should be longing for his appearance. Jesus gave parables in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. And one of the things he said is that the unprofitable servants, they're not coming. They're not coming. So you can study that. That's Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 when he talks about the parables of his coming. He said, one servant who was a hypocrite said in his heart that my master delays his coming. He's not coming back anytime soon. And he begins to beat his servants. I see that on Facebook all the time. I see, quote, Christians beating up other Christians on social media. They don't believe Jesus is coming at any moment. 
That is brutal. That is ungodly. It is wrong. Actually, Jesus said, this is the characteristic of those that really believe I'm coming. They are loving and kind and tender-hearted. If they see the hungry, they feed them. If they see the thirsty, they give them something to drink. If they're sick, then they visit them. If they're in prison, they go to them. If they're homeless, they take them in and they help them. Jesus said, that's the people who believe I'm really coming soon. There's an instinct in you to do that. I was preaching in Colorado. And I was sitting there and I wrote this and I want to read it to you. It's not long, but please listen and try not to move about right now. There is a migration. I feel it in my spirit. It is a call, a knowing. Like birds which migrate, knowing winter is coming. They are not taught this. There is a knowing in their nature. Winter is coming. They can feel it. They know it. They cannot stay where they are. There is a migration in my heart. A migration away from this world into heaven above. Church is about to leave here. It cannot stay. This migration is an insatiable desire to gather with the church, to prepare to leave this world with his church. I see us gathering so much more with believers by desire, an instinctive migratory impulse, a getting ready to leave this world. The night is falling. The cold winter is coming. It is dreadful to think of being left in this world. To live unaware of the migratory call of the Holy Ghost. Many religious are unaware. For they have no instinct. For they have no new nature. They do not have the nature to sense the nearness of the coming night. Believer, listen. Do you hear the bridegroom calling? He is on his way. Follow the migratory call of the Holy Ghost to his church. He is calling us to gather for the soon coming migration. He is calling us away. He is the shepherd who leads us. How can you be led by him if you are not with him? He is with his church. It is high time to wake out of sleep. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Even so, come Lord Jesus. These altars are open. As I said, it's a sobering call. There needs to be rekindled, I believe, in so many of us, the instinct of knowing He's coming. To be free from this world, to follow the Holy Spirit. No, we can't stay. We can't stay. I'm bringing you home to Him. Move with me. The journey's long. Move with me. I'll be your companion. I'll tell you all about Him. I'll cause you to fall in love with Him. One whom you've never seen, you will love. I will give you that. And oh, 
ask the Lord to help you help others. I want all of you to come. Not to the altar so much. I want all of you to come home. I want all of you to be able to go with Jesus. By grace through faith. But grace teaches you. By grace through faith. That grace changes you. By grace through faith. Grace will speak to you. He's coming. Lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. He's coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He whom my soul loves is coming for me. The world is getting ready for tragedy and peril. We're getting ready for a wedding out of this world wedding. We're going home. We're going to see God on the throne. We're going to see angels with multiple faces and the glory of God and the saints of old body of Christ and the bride of the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb we're going home he will be our refuge our groom and our love 